Good Friday morning. Today is October 21st, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word. This is the program where each weekday morning we explore the Holy Scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning in. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. And for those of you who are coming back for more, well, I'm blessed you're here. Be sure to tell your friends and your family that they too can be a part of Thy Strong Word by listening over the air on AM850 in the St. Louis area, online at kfuo.org, or through any podcasting app. And as always, Thy Strong Word is brought to you by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. I really do encourage you to learn more about their translating and publishing work at lhfmissions.org. They certainly have been a benefit to me in the past. Well, today is Friday. You know what that means. It's time for our listener mailbag. And as I sort through all the letters here, and by the way, I respond to all of them, one stands out to me this morning. A listener in Sheboygan, Wisconsin, comes to us with a question about Daniel and the Old Testament canon. He writes that a recent Jewish convert in his congregation claims that the book of Isaiah is not in the Jewish Bible and that the elements of the Old Testament which point to Christ are excluded or covered up like the connections we see in Daniel. Well, dear brother, I can assure you that Isaiah is certainly included in the Jewish scriptures, which we call the Old Testament, and so is Daniel. As for Daniel, there have been some debates by critical scholars about when it was written. Some want to date the book to only a couple hundred years before Jesus because they claim that Daniel couldn't have predicted what he did. Most, however, are content to place it where it belongs, in the 6th century B.C., and that the prophecies are just that, revelations from God. Well, we know that Isaiah and Daniel have always been in the Jewish scriptures. There are actually lots of reasons we know this, but among them, well, they're both quoted in the New Testament. St. Paul quotes Isaiah all the time. Matthew 24 uh, has Jesus mentioning Daniel by name and calling him a prophet. So maybe there's some misunderstanding about what she's saying. Uh, interestingly, the, the Hebrew Bible, which is divided into the Torah, the prophets, and the writings, does have Daniel placed among the writings and not with the prophets for various reasons, but it's still there. And with that said, there is some truth to the notion that, well, modern Jewish translations of the scriptures do seem to go out of their way to render certain texts in a manner that would obscure their messianic connection. But anyway, I hope that helps. Folks, if you have a question or comment, email me at pastorboo at gmail.com. Well, today we are in the book of the prophet Daniel, chapter 6. Ask any Sunday schooler about Daniel, and they'll likely tell you about his time in the lion's den. And that is what we're covering today. Darius the Mede is the current ruler of Babylon. He, he likes Daniel for his wisdom and his administration abilities. But just when he considers making him head over the whole kingdom, there are some envious other high officials who are scheming to lay a trap to rid themselves of this Daniel. They commenced the king to make an edict that no man could pray or make a petition to God for 30 days. Well, Daniel refused to cease worshiping God even for a month even if it could mean his death. 
it would have been a violation of the third commandment and a denial of God. So with me today to talk about Daniel and his stand against the tyranny of evil rulers is one of our regular guests, the Reverend David Boisclair, pastor of Faith and Bethesda Lutheran Churches in Pine Lawn, Missouri. Pastor Boisclair, welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Well, it's always a pleasure to be here. Well, brother, and, have you uh, ever been in to, a... Uh, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Please, no, have I ever ahead, been one? <laughs> I just, it's I always just a gonna... pleasure to uh, extol the great word of our Lord and, and to study it together with God's people. But, but anyway, uh, please continue what you were asking. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, sorry to talk over you there. I, I was just going to ask, brother, have you ever been in the situation where you've been ordered to cease worshiping God by someone in authority over you? Um, I guess, unfortunately, no. <laughs> I've never had that, that trial of faith. But I'm sure, you know, we, 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 we can see it here. Uh, Daniel, Daniel provides for us such an excellent um, example in, in catechetical uh, study. You know, in other words, teaching our young people about uh, their life in Christ uh, of, of a, a, these situations. It's just like ready-made uh, examples to follow. Yeah, you know, I, if I were asked that same question, I suppose, brother, I could not help but think back a couple years ago, though, just to be honest. There were many people within uh, the United States and across Christendom that were told that they could not receive the word and the sacrament, couldn't sing to God, couldn't gather together for worship. It wasn't to the point where they couldn't pray in their homes, but there certainly was this insistence uh, on on not worshiping God, but just for a couple of weeks, which turned into just a couple of months, which turned into just to a couple of years. So I guess that's sort of what I would think of if I were asked that question. And a lot of people did look to Daniel for guidance in that time. And uh, yeah, it was tough. You know, I don't want to relitigate the whole thing today because there's so much for us to get into with Daniel. But I just think it's interesting that we can, even in our recent memory, Think of situations that that mimic at least a little bit of what was going on. Oh yes, and 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 it was. You can see how uh, the devil through evil people in the world uh, hates the word of God and hates uh, the worship of the true God. And, and to that to that point, in, in in there was a not there was no equal protection under the law because uh, churches. Uh, were were forbidden to be open and to have uh, divine service, but uh, uh, casinos or or um, uh, maybe liquor stores might be opened or something like that. Uh, you know, in 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 other words, uh, there was a, there was an uh, you know an inequity. There was a uh, in unjust. Uh, application of the, the these are the COVID nineteen laws um, and, and edicts, right? And I think we've all learned so much since then, both as pastors and parishioners, on how to navigate those things. But uh, yeah, so today I think we can certainly appeal to what the Lord teaches us through Daniel to prepare us for the future, if that should happen or something similar. I tell you what, before we dig in too much, though, would you please start our time together in prayer? Certainly. Let us pray. We offer you our praise, O living God, for your everlasting kingdom of grace in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Guide us today as we look over the heroic life of your servant, Daniel. 
May we be encouraged and strengthened by the faithful life you worked through him, that he was not forced through fear of death in the lion's den to renounce his faith. We must obey you rather than any human authority. Now guide us as we turn to your precious word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, brother, we are at a place in Daniel where a shift has taken place yet again. Um, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed, and now Darius the Mede is has received the kingdom. He's the guy in charge. Historically, it's hard to pin him down. Of course, it was hard to pin down Belsh- Belshazzar for for hundreds of years until history finally was able to show that he existed, proving yet again the faithfulness of the Bible. But uh, maybe you want to catch us up and set the stage for what's happening in chapter six. Yes, uh, I you know it's it's like uh, they they get uh, much of this history from uh, the Greek historian Herodotus, who is the father of history, by the way, are considered to be such. And uh, you know he pretty much said that um, uh, Nabonidus, who was the father of Belshazzar, uh, Belshazzar, he was of course sort of, sort of in retirement. Belshazzar was sort of second in the kingdom. That's why Daniel was offered the third position in the kingdom after he interpreted the uh, writing of the man's hand in the uh, uh, during the Belshazzar's feast. Uh, Cyrus, of course, uh, defeated the Babylonians and conquered that nation. And then Herodotus says it was Cyrus that was king at that time. But um, Xenophon, who was uh, also a Greek, uh, you know, historian, uh, he was a student of Socrates, the the philosopher, and he and and a number of his men were kind of uh, trapped in in, uh, Persian territory. And so he learned a lot about the Persian culture and, and history. And he says that um, uh, when Cyrus uh, conquered uh, Babylon, that he offered his relative, who was king of Media, uh, a fellow by the name of Cyaxares II, uh, which, uh, by the way, uh, you know, Kyle, who is a who is the uh, commentator on this, says it's it, it, his that name Cyaxares uh, is related to the name Dar- Darius. Uh, you know, it just depends on which uh, nation. Is it a Median name or is it a Persian name or is it um, you know a Indo some other type of name? But anyway, that, that he was that Cyrus invited Cyaxares, who was old at the time, to go and live in Babylon. So that may be uh, the Darius that we're dealing with here. And regardless, we do have this Darius who, whether he's like this king of the whole world, so to speak, or whether he's just in charge of the area of Babylon or the kingdom of Babylon um, in sort of a more local idea. Yeah, it's 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 clear that he has a, a place in history, even if we can't pin him down, but there's a lot of evidence to who he could be. And this idea of having several different names, well, just ask Daniel or Belteshazzar or whatever you want to call him or Shadrach, Meshach, yeah. and Abednego. You know, the idea that have everybody has these different names depending on which culture they're operating in is certainly not inconsistent with history. So Darius has been put in charge of then putting together the kingdom, and that seems to be what's happening in these first verses. Um, I'd like to go ahead and just read verses 1 through 9 to get us started. This will be from the English Standard Version of the Holy Bible. 
It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give an account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Well, then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king, and they said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes a petition to any god or man for thirty days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. That's the end of our text with verse So yeah, Daniel is continuing to set himself apart, but that causes some jealousy, doesn't it? Yes, but you know, what's rather interesting is Daniel is a illustration of a, a wonderful policy, even when one works in government, that honesty, <clears throat> honesty is the best policy. Uh, you know, if, if you tell the truth and if you're if you're truthful and uh, like that, uh, then, then you don't have to cover up anything. Uh, and 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 of course, Daniel is a perfect example of this, obviously. And then notice it points out to that spirit that is within him. You know, you see a, there's there is a parallel, a, a slight parallel between Daniel and Joseph in uh, in Genesis. Uh, how how um, the, the even the Pharaoh saw that that you know he was had the spirit of of God within him and 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 he entrusted him with uh, you know high governmental of, as a high governmental official like a vizier or a, a prime minister in in that respect uh, and and uh, you know like as as in any case I mean with politics you have uh, uh, you know other other. Uh, fellow politicians or, or, or officials that are jealous of, of this favor that Daniel had. And, you know, maybe they, they also saw him, uh, you know, as an outsider because he was uh, from the exiles or from the foreigners that were brought uh, into Babylon. Uh, and so, um, you know, they say, well, well, how are we going, you know, it, you're sort of reminded too of, of, um, uh, at the time of our Lord Caiaphas and 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 all of the uh, Sadducees and so on and, and chief priests and scribes and so on wanting to find fault with Jesus, and so they had to you know plot on how they were to do this. And the only place where they could uh, his only Achilles heel in their mind was his religion, and that's where they began their work. Yeah, I I find it curious because you think about. Building upon your point, that Daniel here is is seen as a pious and devoted person. The king can even recognize it. Not that the king believes in Daniel's God, 
or at the very least doesn't believe in that God in the same way that Daniel does. He might have him on the shelf with his other gods, but he sees in Daniel all of these characteristics, which are, which are favorable. You know, like you said, honesty, uh, trustworthiness, faithfulness, things that come from being a servant of God, the way that we should be living. And when the people around him see these things and they're envious of the favor he's getting, the logical thing to do would be to imitate him, to do those things too, to be able to get the attention of the king. You know, I, I'm just like Daniel. And yet that's not how the sinful mindset works, is it? It's about, well, how can we tear him? Instead of building ourselves up, how can we tear him down? And as you say, they go, well, if he's that way because of the what he believes in, if he's that way because of his God, then we must attack the God, or in this case specifically, the law of his God. We have to somehow get him in a position where he has to choose between God and the king. And that's exactly what they do. And this is so uh, helpful to us in our day and age. How are we to conduct ourselves in the public square in our nation? And of course, you know, one one of the blessings of of God uh, in as in that is America is that it is that is supposedly or it is designedly free a free nation a freedom of religion. Uh, you know, that the government cannot uh, um, pass any laws to, with respect to an establishment of religion or, or in de- making demands of people that, that violate their faith. They also are, do not have, there is such a thing as freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, and, 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 and also the prerogative of the people to choose their government through, uh, through elections. And but but still, as we can see that there is the possibility, as we saw a few years ago, very, very clearly that uh, we might be in, in you know, kind of confronted by a government that hates God and hates his uh, his faith, hates the Christian faith and and that they would want to um, uh, take away our religious liberty and and compel us to do something that is contrary to God's will. I mean, uh, it's it's only just uh, within a few months that uh, the the terrible sin of abortion was uh, there that was found by our Supreme Court that there is no right in the Constitution to murder unborn babies. Yes, and only to point out the obvious, you know, we are speaking in the American context, which is still a very blessed blessed place to be because of these laws. We can appeal to these protections of our liberties and our rights. But we also have uh, Christians around the world. We even have listeners around the world. Some of the letters I get are from people in other countries. And, you know, then there are places where they'll never hear our voices, but they are struggling and straining against places where those protections aren't um, established by the government. And so I think we in the United States have taken for granted for so long those freedoms of assembly and speech and the fact that the government will not only not establish a, a religion, but they also won't interfere with the free exercise of our religion. And yet they, they still kind of push those lines, if not completely cross them sometimes. And so, you know, we have Daniel as our example, but I think we have to also be very, uh, well, we have to go in with our eyes open. Daniel is an example of what it means to stand up to tyranny but remember, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, 
whose situation was very clear. They were ordered to literally worship a statue or an idol. Um, They also ended up submitting to the consequences of that, which was being thrown into the fiery furnace. And here, it's not so much the first commandment. It's not so much, well, you know, you have to worship this false god. It's about not keeping the, well, the third commandment, as I said earlier, it's about denying God by not giving him his due, his worship that not only God commands us to do, but of course we benefit from. Um, let me get some more verses on it because I don't, it's, it's such, it's so hard because we have 28 verses here, uh, but the, it's in chunks. So let's go through verse 10 through verse 13. Then Daniel knew that the document had been signed. He went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber, open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day, and he prayed, and he gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king! Did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and they said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but he makes his petition Three times a day. That would be with the end of verse 13. So, brother, the, the king here, when, when he makes this decree, he has no ill intentions towards Daniel. He's actually not setting himself up to be a god. He, he's certainly setting himself up to be a priest because, you know, they still can make their petitions to their gods through him. But uh, obviously, they knew that this would get Daniel in trouble. Well, in the case of, it was true that um, the eastern potentates or kings, like the um, you know the Persian emperor or the Babylonian emperor, they they did think of themselves as divine. And and um, and but in this case, Darius Darius uh, is not uh, a you know isn't so uh, conceited as to uh, perhaps as to think that. Um, but but it but but that was customary in ancient times for the uh, for an absolute ruler like this to uh, be considered divine and 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 what's interesting about this this edict that was made it's kind of like a a, a test of loyalty you might say uh, that that you are to um, uh, regard uh, the king as the one that that you is the source of of your desires and petitions and so on and uh you know i, I mean if if i if i were obviously in our day and age with our hindsight we could say if if i were such a ruler i would say you know i'm not going to do that uh and 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 obviously darius didn't think that it would affect daniel but really what is what is interesting is that even though Daniel knew about this edict. 
And um, incidentally, uh, some of the critics of Daniel said, well, they didn't have the practice of praying three times a day. You know, it, basically, the, but, that, but they were wrong, because if you look at the book of Psalms, it says that you pray, uh, you know, at, during the morning prayer and the evening prayer and at, and at noon uh, to God. And, 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 and then, you know, well, well, somebody might ask, well, why didn't Daniel close the window? Why did he have to keep the window open? You know, so Daniel didn't change his, um, his prayer activity in any way. I'm, I'm inspired, too, by uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego saying to King Nebuchadnezzar, even if God uh, were, were not going to save us from, from this edict or from the punishment that is uh, laid out for this. We're still not going to worship your idol. <laughs> so in the sense of yep. Daniel is kind of, it's not an act of defiance. It's an act of obedience to his God. You know, it says, you know, okay, th- th- there's this law, but guess what? I'm, I'm going to follow my God and I don't care who sees it. You know, and I don't want to keep drawing back to our most recent situation a couple years ago, but I think that's a really important point that you just made, and that is remaining faithful to God in the face of those who would have us not do so is one thing. Um, but then I remember there being a lot of people who were basically poking the bear. Suddenly people got a lot more religious in an effort to try to assert their rights. Uh, and, and, you know, we have here Daniel, he's not doing anything different. He's not throwing open. We have no indication, I should say, that he's throwing open the windows to say, look at me. I don't have to listen to the king because he certainly didn't make it almost 80 years and be a respected administrator in the kingdom by not ordinarily obeying everything the king told him to do, whichever king it was. But this is where the line was drawn. And so instead of being pompous. He doesn't go up to the the king's palace and pray outside in rebellion. He just continues his faithfulness. And those who were spying on him were, uh, well, they just, they got what they wanted. And and, and as you can see, um, uh, then he kind of uh, supports the idea that Darius was was a conscient, a good man. I would, I would take Darius to be a good ruler. And and uh, and and of course a friend. He was a he's a friend of Daniel's. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's uh, as we will see. Absolutely, and his the windows being open toward Jerusalem is significant. You know, we don't do this anymore because the the, the theology of the temple, of course, is fulfilled in Christ. Uh, Muslims continue to pray in the direction of Mecca. It actually used to be towards Jerusalem. That's certainly a, a tale for another time. But in this time, we see that Daniel is praying toward Jerusalem. Um, and is, is that obviously because that's where the representation of God's presence is? Well, uh, as, we, as we note from the, the dedicatory prayer of Solomon, that, that Solomon states uh, in uh, 1 Kings chapter 8, verses, uh, verse 33 and following, when your people Israel are defeated before the enemy because they have sinned against you, and if they turn again to you and acknowledge your name and pray and plead with you in this house, or, you know, that's in verse 33, and then in verse 35, when heaven is shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, if they pray toward this place 
and acknowledge your name and turn from their sin when you afflict them. Then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, when you teach them the good way in which they should walk and grant rain upon your land, which you have given to your people as an inheritance. Um, and then, then, then there's in the Psalm, Psalm 5, verse 7, But I, though through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house, I will bow toward, down toward your holy temple in fear of you. Uh, Psalm uh, 28, verse 2, Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands toward your most holy sanctuary. So there, there is that, that tradition of, of praying toward uh, Jerusalem. You know, it's, it's interesting. Um, I, I think back to when I was a little child in, 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 school, in grade school and, and how, of course, they wanted to uh, you know, impress on us the, the need to be loyal to our country. And they said it is customary to when you when you say the Pledge of Allegiance, of course, you face the flag or you face east. Uh, And and, um, you know, in a sense, it's you know, there was kind of that, um, uh, you know, reverence that that is done by facing in a certain direction. Of course, in east, of course, is the place of the sunrise. Now, that now obviously, in, in our houses of worship, we don't. Well, of course, you know, there is also the way in which churches are built. They're 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 built facing east. So there there's that type of uh, reverence that goes on. Right, we're we're facing east, and uh, even when we're buried traditionally, it's such that if you were to sit up in your coffin, you would be facing east, the uh, the way that Christ promises to return from. Well, we'll keep this conversation going right now. We're up against a break. So, dear listeners, stay tuned. When we return, Pastor Boyce Claire and I will keep talking about Daniel chapter 6. See you on the other side. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me today, discussing Daniel chapter 6, is going to be the Reverend David Boisclair, pastor of faith and Bethesda Lutheran churches in Pine Lawn, Missouri. All right, Pastor, we are back. And so we've been talking about uh, everything leading up to Daniel basically getting ready to be thrown in the lion's den. The king has made this edict that says no one can petition their gods. Um, or man, which would be the priests, uh, they can petition the king, uh, but nope, no one, no one else for thirty days. And he does this under pressure from the leaders, right? It, we talk politically; it's like they're all saying, "Hey, you know, 
this is a good idea, King. Everybody wants you to do this. Everybody wants you to to uh, to make this edict. And of course, he wants to be favored, and so he does. But then it comes to bite him, bite him. <laughs> Let's just leave it at that. Go ahead. Ab- absolutely. And and in, what's interesting in this is is the um, uh, well, obviously they they're weaponizing the powers of the government to go against their enemies. And in this case, are to remove an enemy. So, so here they're weaponizing uh, the the power of the king to to remove Daniel from. And 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 it's rather interesting how they, uh, you know, characterize him. They they don't say, well, Daniel, one of the three of the high officials over the other satraps, uh, has has you know violated your edict he says one of the the exiles of judah you know and in, in, in other words that uh, that this is a a rebel from the outside that is that is uh affronting you that is that is challenging your authority that's um you know doing something that is uh, a revolutionary in your kingdom yeah that definitely gives us some insight into the their motives so let's uh, let's let's put a few more verses out there. This is going to be verses fourteen through eighteen. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, "Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed." Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. And the king declared to Daniel, May your God whom you serve continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and he spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. So, brother pastor, right? We just ended with verse 18. The king is so upset, he's not even going to watch any TV or anything. He doesn't eat. He just goes right to bed. Well, well, he doesn't even do that. He he stays up all well, night. Uh, well, he tries. Probably, he tosses yeah, he's, turns. Uh, yeah, he's not. He, he, he's... Um, uh, you know, which I, I really, really speaks to the integrity uh, of this of this ruler. You know, would to God that all rulers in the ancient world were like were like this particular ruler. Um, and and in this case, you have in this here the law of the Medes and the Persians, which of course you you meet again in the book of Esther, uh, where. Uh, you know, Haman gets uh, King Ahasuerus to uh, pass a law, uh, according to the Medes and the per- Persians, to kill all of the Judeans that they find, uh, you know, on this particular day. And, and uh, you know, so, it, so when it, whenever they, here's two instances in Holy Scripture where uh, this practice of the law and the Medes and the Persians being unalterable, uh, not even the king has authority over his own law. You know, I would say, well, am, am, I, not the, am I not the ruler of the whole nation? Uh, don't I have the power to overrule anything I do? And then I guess not in the case of the laws of the Medes and the Persians. And sort of like they, you know, they, and I don't think the king... Uh, King Darius really appreciated these officials kind of, pu- uh, you know, pu- pushing him into a corner here. 
you know, I mean, usually you might think the king would say, well, I, I have power to show favoritism to whomever I, I choose. And so, you know, I would save Daniel. And but but he did. It's interesting. It says that he labored until the end of the day. It was customary in ancient times in the East and in, in Persia that uh, if an accusation was made at the beginning of the day, uh, that then uh, the it was the sentence was carried out at the end of the day. That's why the king had until the uh, setting of the sun in order to try to save Daniel. Yeah, you talk about him saying, "Well, am I not the king? Can I show favor?" And I imagine that would be going through his head too. Part of me thinks, because of the situation, that he doesn't fully get that he's been tricked. He's upset about the situation. And please correct me if you have a different view, but he's upset about the situation. But the reason why I don't think that he's kind of pinning it on these particular leaders is there's nothing. Yes, he can't undo what he said, but there would be nothing preventing him from throwing them in there with him. <laughs> so he could he could oh, have yeah, said, yeah. because you tricked me, you get to join him. Have fun. Um, but I, so I don't get the impression that he is. Yeah, definitely feels like he's been tricked. It's more of a. Oh, what have I done? I did this thing, and now it's it's gotten my best my best satrap or whatever Daniel would have been called, and um, he, so he's fasting all night. I imagine he's fasting, not eating, hoping, praying to his various gods that the that the uh, lions are also fasting. <laughs> I think that's a good way to put it. Uh, and and uh, in a sense, this is kind of like. Uh, uh, you know, a trial that is uh, that is placed out there for uh, a powerful God to deal with, uh, you know, much in the, much in the case, like in the case of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, uh, they said, uh, you know, you know, we, we pray that he would deliver us. But even if he doesn't, uh, you know, we're not going to follow your your edict because it's against our faith. And and in this particular case, it's kind of like up. Or even even Darius says, you know, I, I I think that's encouraging too. That 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 uh, he 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 says has the 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 hope or the the votum. Uh, may the God that you serve, uh, uh, you know, protects you. You know, and and that and and in in a sense, the what happens later, of course, with the other officials being executed, uh, maybe because uh, you know it was decided on a higher plane than on the plane of uh, the political uh, nation. Well, let's see what happens next, starting with verse nineteen. Then at the break of day, the king arose and he went in haste to the den of lions, and as he came near to the den where Daniel was. He cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. And the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of the lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lion overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. 
So I imagine, oh, this is the end of that section. So I imagine uh, that, you know, it is during this time when he's fretting over this that he figures it out. Otherwise, I do believe that he would have thrown these guys in with them with Daniel. Or maybe it just things operated differently. Regardless, he runs back there, right? He runs there in the morning having no sleep, and he's excited to hear that Daniel is alive. Yeah, imagine how joyful he is. Uh, you know, it's kind of like he, he says, he calls in there, and, and you know, maybe a lot of people will say they're, they're, they uh, uh, kind of, there's a dread silence between uh, the, the, the uh, you know, his calling in, and then, and then, and then the voice of Daniel comes to the king, and I'm sure, I'm sure he was overjoyed to, to hear, hear his voice. And um, it, it just says the, 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 that that angel uh, uh, closed the lion's mouths so that they could, and they, and they, and then also it, it's very significant that there is no harm that was found on him. In the case of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were they were sort of uh, it was almost like a, a smothering death in the fiery furnace. Another uh, where they were uh, bound up with uh, you know all kinds of of clothing and, and other things, uh, you know, can make it even hotter, I guess, to them. And, and, but then when they came out of the fiery furnace, uh, there, there wasn't even the smell of smoke on their clothing. So that, that kind of indicates, uh, you know, the, the manner in which Daniel was preserved by God, uh, from, from any harm from the, the lions. Yeah. And at some point, you know, he does figure out what's going on, and I, I wonder if it is now that Daniel has been pulled from the lion's den, and he specifically proclaims that he was found innocent before his God, before the God, and uh, also that he had done no harm to King Darius, which is interesting because legally he was guilty, and yet he doesn't say he wasn't guilty. He said he was he had done no harm to the king his worship of his god was not a threat to the king and the king accepted that and i believe that it was this context where you know now he's coming out unharmed his god has shown him favor from the king's point of view and david declares that listen look think about it i did i didn't do anything to you it's then he realizes that oh i have been tricked and not only do the do these satraps get tossed into the uh, lions den but their children and their wives, boy, kings meant business back then. Yeah, it was it was customary in in Persia in Persian law that uh, that any that the um, uh, relatives of of a uh, traitor or a uh, lawbreaker like that were all also punished. I'm sort of reminded, um, you know, when I was a, a boy, I used to read the books of Howard Pyle, who wrote about Robin Hood, and he wrote a book called A Men of Iron, which was about a knight during the time of of King Henry the Fourth of England in uh, between uh, 1399 and, and 1413, and uh, this man uh, was was declared a traitor. And nobody in his family could uh, use his coat of arms or his family name uh, because if they did that, they would they would also suffer the uh, uh, the judgment against a traitor. And and uh, you know so so it's kind of it's kind of like a situation like this where the the fa even the family members you know those who uh, you know this shows how evil in a sense uh, 
can be made even worse, you might say that, you know, in other words, they they probably didn't have the idea that that their their families were, uh, you know, forfeit to that. So let let that be a uh, let that be a lesson to other um, evil people in government that want to try to use uh, the power of government to weaponize it against their enemies. Yeah, it seems extremely cruel and extreme from our understanding of justice. But it was very practical from the king's point of view because not only does it set this example, as you point out, but if there are no wives and there are no children, there are a lot fewer people there to uh, you know, get revenge upon the king or the crown. There are few people to vindicate their father's or their husband's death. And so it was just a practical matter. You know, in the same way that by the time of Jesus, you know, if you have some Messiah going around and and he's proclaiming one thing, you don't want to just get him. You want to get all of his followers, too, because you you want to completely eradicate what you consider is the problem or the the cancer that you're trying to to figure out. And so that's what's going on. Yeah. So I think it's both and this idea that, look, this is what happens to people who who conspire against me. And also, I'm going to hedge my bets so that there aren't anybody around who cares about them. And again, it's awful, and that's what it is. It's it's all awful, but it is something we see in the ancient practice. And then, just so that l- lest people think that the lions just weren't hungry or that the lions were just super tame and Daniel got off easy, we, of course, see exactly how they react when they get this new this new sacrifice of these, these poor children and, and wives and uh, satraps. And, and, you know, it's interesting that um, those that, uh, you know, at the time that uh, Dr. Kyle in the middle of the 19th century wrote his commentary, uh, they, they were you know, very critical of uh, this particular, st- uh, you know, account of the life in the life of Daniel. Uh, they say, well, so they took 120 uh, satraps and their and their families and threw them into this. No, 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 no. It was probably, you know, just the, the few people that were making the accusations against Daniel and their and their families. What's interesting is that uh, in in the book of Esther, um, it, it's rather interesting where uh, Mordecai, the uncle of Esther, uh, you know, she she of course is now queen. She's the wife of Ahasuerus. Uh, he he says, you know, don't he he t- says to Esther, don't think that you are not going to suffer the consequences of this. Uh, law of Haman uh, putting to death all the Judeans. But if you don't act, then our our help will come from a higher quarter or a higher place. Uh, and it's rather interesting in the book of Esther, there's no mention of God uh, in, in there. And that's why, of course, the apocryphal uh, book, are, you know, additions to Esther kind of have Esther praying to God. Uh, but in this case, it's like it, this is taken into uh, God's forum, God's court, and, and God makes the decision. And obviously he made the decision that Daniel was, uh, was innocent of, of uh, any kind of crime against the king or a, a, against, against God. Well, and then we see all of this come to a – well, to a, an interesting end. King Darius, as you mentioned before – Seems like a stand-up guy so far as pagan god kings are concerned, and yet he yeah. acknowledges he acknowledges uh, the god of Daniel uh, after all of this. But this isn't the first time that 
one of the kings has acknowledged the god of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar famously did that a couple of times and never really learned his lesson. Um, let's get the rest of the verses. We're going to read through the rest of the chapter, verses 25 through 28. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Okay, so we have lots. There's actually quite a bit even in this very last section. But just to you know, kick it off, King Darius praises the God of Daniel, but he's still, and he even calls him the living God. But it's not as though suddenly he's a follower of Yahweh, the one and only true God. He's simply acknowledging that this God's pretty darn powerful, as he's observed. Yes, and 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 it's rather interesting. They they practice what we call heno, a henotheistic religion. You know, we we uh, practice a monotheistic religion. There is only one God, and uh, you know, we have by His own witness of Himself in the Book of Isaiah that that He He should know, and He knows there's no other God except Him. And uh, and but in this case, of course, uh, they 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 um, may have exalted one specific god in this case uh, it's by the law of the medes and the persians i would imagine uh, which is a good point uh that uh, there is that that everyone should fear this god now of course what when we speak of fear of god we're speaking about religion uh, what that's the old testament word for religion when when it says the fear of one god or another and, and in this case, you know, the, the, he probably is is the the greatest god. Of course, in Babylon, they they worship Marduk and and uh, Ishtar uh, as as their deities. But uh, you know, in in this particular case, one this is one above many. So it's like a is what we call a henotheistic religion. But uh, as as Scripture says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. I find here a you know it, it basically an encouragement that uh, God has preserved His saint. Uh, and in his faithfulness uh, to him, and and that's it's kind of it. It really points forward how the faith is being de- uh, you know formed for us of our day, where our Lord Jesus Christ, that whoever acknowledge me acknowledges me before men will also be acknowledged by my Father in heaven, and whoever denies me before men will also be denied by my Father in heaven. That we are we are to be faithful to our Lord Jesus Christ and suffer all, even death rather than fall away from him. And that's exactly what he was called to do. Daniel was asked to deny his Lord, and he did, he refused to deny his Lord, and he called upon him instead. And so how apropos, obviously, Jesus' words are, um, reaching back into time for Daniel and, of course, forward in time to us. Such a good message for us to remember. This, uh, this, this Cyrus he mentions at the end, during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus— uh, some connection here, right, to these this sort of joint kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. 
Uh, but Cyrus is the same Cyrus who would then go on to decree that the Jews could return home from exile in uh, 538, which we which we see more explicitly in Ezra at the very beginning of Ezra. Uh, and we have plenty of archaeological evidence to support that, should people be interested, in what's called the Cyrus Cylinder, uh, which was discovered, uh, written from Cyrus's own edict, uh, you know, and it uh, is dated all the way back to, well, just this time, the 6th century BC. It's a fabulous thing if you wanted to look that up. But anyway, so we have um, all these connections in history, and that's reason why I love the book of Daniel, because it was discounted really so long by very critical scholars, and yet it continues to be proven, not that we need the proof, but it continues to be proven in history. It connects to the people and places and events in history, and it just points to the fact that our God will preserve us. Daniel had no expectation that God would save him from the lion's den, just as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego also admitted that even if God should not save them from the fiery furnace, they still have their faith in him, and yet God does deliver them. In these days, when we face these problems, we have no expectation that God's going to miraculously intervene, but that doesn't give us any less reason to put our faith, hope, and trust in him. Um, anything else as we come to the end of our program, Pastor? Well, and, and it's rather interesting that in in, in in we're going to be singing this hymn very shortly uh, for the uh, festival of the Reformation. But as it ends, uh, so they take they our life, goods, fame, child, and wife. Let these all be gone. They yet have nothing won. The kingdom ours remaineth. And so even even though our life is taken from us, even that 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 horrible. A possibility that that horrible uh, going going into the darkness of death. Yet we have the certain hope of, of an everlasting life with our Lord Jesus Christ, and and so that 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 kind of like it's beyond death. Uh, you know, it's not that you know you're going to threaten me with death. Uh, well, even as Jesus says, do not fear him, him that can. Um, Put you to death uh, in this life, but fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. And, and, and of course, God's intention is that all be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth in our Lord Jesus Christ. How true, how true. Um, anything else you'd like to share with our listeners as we come to the end of the program? Maybe a, another bit of gospel or something that they can share with their friends. It's rather wonderful about Cyrus, uh, the Persian. In Isaiah, he's, he's speaking of as as a Messiah himself, or you know, an anointed one. Uh, and and uh, th- this, of course, is the was the bright future that uh, Jeremiah, uh, you know, prophesied to his people that uh, that they would be taken into captivity for uh, seventy years, and that uh, that then there is this one that God has chosen uh, in order to. Uh, provide for their return to the promised land, uh, and that, that God is always God is the real Lord of history. He is the one that uh, uh, you know sets up rulers and tears them down. And of course, it, you know there is the prospect and in, 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 in point out that uh, in, in Romans thirteen that the powers that be are there by God's by God's will. But God's intentions are always for the best, uh, best of all people. God really loves people. He's the true philanthropist. And in this particular case, we see how he uh, defended and protected and blessed faithful Daniel. So he will also uh, defend and protect us who follow our dear Lord Jesus Christ 
uh, in life and through life to death and into eternal life, which is a certain hope in Christ. I guess this morning, the Reverend David Boisclare, pastor of Faith and Bethesda Lutheran Churches in Pine Lawn, Missouri. Thank you, Pastor, for being on the show. It's, uh, it's such a joy to be here, and may God bless you, Pastor, in, in your ministry. Thank you. And thank you, too, dear listeners, for tuning in to Thy Strong Word. I've been your host, Pastor Phil Boo. A big shift happens in the book of Daniel, beginning with chapter 7. Less narrative, more eclectic and apocalyptic visions, beginning with Daniel's vision of four mysterious beasts. Don't miss it. We'll jump into it on Monday. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray. Father, keep us in thy strong word.